Welcome to Agile Self-Development, the podcast that gives you a roadmap for personal growth and self-improvement for your body, mind, and spirit. Hi, I'm Helene Coppell, and I'll show you how to become your best self one version at a time. This is not going to be an episode talking about the science of food addiction, but I assure you the science proves it's a real addiction. There are a number of 12-step programs for food addicts who may identify as compulsive eaters instead or as well. There's been question around whether it's a behavioral compulsion or a physical addiction. For me, it's both. Some argue recovery from food addiction is more complicated than from alcohol or drug addiction because we still need to eat. We can't just put it down. I'd agree. While some of us could probably binge on any type of food, there are certain foods that will automatically trigger the need for more and the obsession to be able to eat these foods without any negative consequence. Programs taking food addiction into consideration recommend food addicts abstain from foods with problem ingredients like sugar, refined flour, and wheat. When abstaining from these known addictive ingredients, it's less likely you'll be triggered by a physical craving that these foods can create. And that's an easier starting point to begin changing behaviors and stop using foods as a panacea for whatever is ailing you, heart, mind, body, spirit, whether it's stress, fear, hurt, anger, And sometimes even joy triggers the need to eat or the want for food. Did you notice I said some of us earlier? And for me, for me, for me, describing how we can binge on any type of food. That's because I'm a food addict and a compulsive eater. I'm going to share my story because it needs to be shared with people like me who deal with a food addiction, but have no idea it even exists. What a huge aha moment it was for me when I had it explained in this way, that I was an addict and this is why I behaved around food the way I did. As a compulsive eater, I tried to convince doctors to give me the same meds and treatment that they give to patients with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. If we're being classified as compulsive overeaters or compulsive eaters, why aren't they treating us like we have a compulsion? Why is everybody so focused on the side effect of the compulsion, trying to get us to lose weight, other than treating the compulsion? With that label food addict, I understood that if I stopped eating certain foods, I can better handle the obsession and the compulsion because I wouldn't also have to deal with physical cravings beyond any possible hope for willpower. I had a lifetime of trying that unsuccessfully. My long-term personal vision includes being at peace with food in my body. So I signed up for an eight-week group coaching program for food addiction recovery. Completing this eight-week program is a milestone in my long-term goal, and that's how it relates to my agile journey to recovery, in case anybody was interested in what the fuck this has to do with agile self-development. I'm hoping to share my food addiction, my compulsion, and my experience 
so that it can open the door to others and encourage them to find help as well. In the world we live in, becoming fat is considered especially heinous. In the world of obesity, there are members of an elite squad known as food addicts. I am one of them, and this is my story. I did a search for food addiction coach, and this eight-week program popped up. And one of the assignments I got before the first session even starts is to write a food history and my desires and what I struggle with. And I found myself saying, I have done this. I have done this over and over. So I dug up an old journal, discovered I'm not quite as organized as I thought I was about all the journals I have in the house, but I do have a lot. And I did finally find a food history writing that I created while at a food addiction recovery retreat about five years back. I'm going to just read that to you. I can't remember a time when I wasn't fat or sneaking more food. My parents watched me like a hawk, putting food on my plate while simultaneously telling me to stop eating. I'd had enough. Yet they also were overweight. At five years old, my mom took me to Weight Watchers with her, putting me on my first diet. The ladies there weighed me and clapped throughout the meetings. I don't remember if I ever lost weight, but I know I would join Weight Watchers again and again and again for the next four or five decades. I remember getting weighed in front of the class each year in the nurse's office. Though I didn't understand how to read the scale, the big slider went further than the others, and I could hear the giggles and whispers at my school. I was the fat kid. I was teased and bullied and picked on, made fun of. I knew I was different than the other kids, and I prayed that God would make me thin. I hadn't yet learned to ask him to help me to stop eating. I became a sneak eater. Who ate this? Echoed often throughout my house as if my parents didn't know it was me. My brother, who's eight months older than me, was skinny. He could eat anything. My mom made sure he had a stash of treats that were not meant for me. He could eat whatever he wanted and not worry about his weight. At 11 years old after Years of being put on diets unsuccessfully, I had the opportunity to go to weight loss camp. Actually, we were looking at sleepaway camps, and I chose that one to ensure a summer free of being made fun of for my weight. This began my lifestyle of losing weight in the summer and gaining it all back plus more during the school year. Throughout the next 10 years and into college and camp, Eventually becoming a camp counselor, I'd learn about bulimia, diuretics, laxatives, and I regretted my inability to throw up or handle the requirements of these other eating disorders. I tried every diet on the market, Stay Slim, Tops, Nutrisystem, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, Metafast, Optifast, Herbalife, 
I joined gyms, did jazzercise, took aerobics, diet pills, saw nutritionists, tried Atkins, South Beach diet, hypnosis. There was nothing I wasn't willing to try except putting down the food. I got engaged to the first guy who would have me. And I decided to go to an eating disorder treatment center before I got married to put an end to this issue and not bring it into my marriage with me. I kept hearing my aunt's voice in my head talking about someone who was getting married and asking if she was going to be a big fat bride. I didn't want to bring this into my marriage. The radio had ads for a treatment center. Previously, they only talked about bulimia and anorexia, but now they described binge eating and I recognized myself. In treatment, I was introduced to abstinence and the 12 steps. I learned I had a disease which was proven in my eating history. It not only included overeating and binging, but eating out of the garbage, the freezer, stealing food, sneaking food, eating off the floor, eating around despoiled parts, eating until I was in pain, and obsessing over food nonstop. If that's not addict behavior, I don't know what is. I don't remember getting a sponsor in the 12-step program, but I had a workbook. I was through steps one through three, as far as I knew, and after a year of abstaining from sugar and flour, I ate my wedding cake and I was off to the races on my honeymoon cruise. Let me backtrack here. At age 17, my friend's mother told my friend and I about a teen Overeaters Anonymous group that was starting up. We went for a few months, often making a mockery of it and stopping for food on the way home. I can't remember talking about anything resembling the program I know today. My eating went on for years after my marriage, always on a diet or blowing it. At 24 years old, I got cancer for the first time. I went through multiple surgeries, had an ectopic pregnancy within a year of that, and I gained 100 pounds, but I didn't make the connection to that for 15 years that that year after I'd gone through cancer, I gained 100 pounds. Five years later, I elected to have gastric bypass to force myself to lose the weight. Despite the surgery and horrible side effects that accompanied it, after losing half my weight, I would eat the foods again that would make me feel like I was dying because of the surgery. The numbers on the scale eventually began to rise again. The dieting dance also began again. One day I noticed the jonesing feeling driving me to vending machines. I recognized my addiction. It led me back to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. Time is running out now for this exercise. I have had several year-long stints of abstinence abstaining from sugar and flour and eating between meals. Some half-assed recovery in a way and a couple of abstinences with great recovery. However, when I've allowed myself to be overwhelmed or overscheduled, I've also allowed myself to stop working 
what works. I've fooled myself into believing I can handle what I know I can't. This relapse saw foods in my mouth that have been out for eight years. What do I really want? I want to be normal. What I've always wanted in my mind was to be normal. And in my mind, normal meant thin. Normal meant I was not driven to the food. I was not compulsively eating. I was not jonesing. I was not all consumed by thoughts of gotta eat, gotta eat, gotta eat, gotta eat. I don't want to be consumed with thoughts of I'm a fat fuck. Because those are the kinds of self-hating thoughts that go into my head as a food addict and as an overweight adult in the United States of America. I wrote this years ago. I had somewhat of an off-and-on love-hate relationship with the 12-step program since then. And I made an active choice about 18 months ago to leave the program when I found myself in a state of constant anxiety and self-loathing because the way I interpreted certain steps was that no matter what happened, no matter what I did or what has been done to me, it's my fault. That I'm to blame for anything that goes wrong. And if I eat one item off my food plan, I'm bad. I'm in relapse. I get labeled. I suck. Going through that torture and that self-hate meant it was time for me to take a step back. I discovered Bright Line Eating, the book Bright Line Eating, which validates for anyone who says food is not an addiction, there's a science behind it. Don't let any study that comes from the fast food, crap food, processed food industry convince you that it's fake. There's neuroscience, there's science behind the chemicals. If you have a predisposition for addiction, it's possible you can become a food addict. I know I've got the gene. I've never been tested. I've got a predisposition for food addiction. I have a family history of it. I have lots of family members with similar issues. Once I learned I was a food addict rather than being labeled compulsive eater is that I understood. I finally understood what was going on. Didn't mean I found recovery and stayed in recovery. It gave a label that made sense to me. Nobody tells an alcoholic, just consume alcohol in moderation. Nobody tells a drug addict, just consume cocaine in moderation. But they tell food addicts, all you need to do is eat everything in moderation. You don't want to feel restricted. You don't want to feel like you're missing out on something. Why don't they worry about alcoholics? Yes, we still have to eat. It's different. I think I've heard the expression as we have to walk that tiger three times a day. 
When I was on that food recovery retreat, they had me write a letter saying goodbye to my trigger foods and my compulsive eating behaviors. It sounded a little something like this. Dear trigger food and compulsive eating behaviors, I hate you. I hate what you do to me. I hate who you make me become. I hate what you make me look like. I hate that I want you so badly. I hate that you never satisfy me despite your trickery convincing me you're just what I need. You make me feel like a failure, like a disgusting human being. I hate you when I'm eating, resentful that I cannot stop myself. And I hate that you taste so good that I get such pleasure from something I know will kill me. You create a masochist of me. I will not miss you. I hate you. Get out of my life. I do not want to see you, hear you call to me, or have you romance me with your fake promises. We're done. You are nothing but torture and pain and shame and guilt and ugliness disguised. You will no longer hold me captive in your lies. Goodbye to you and your handcuffs and chains and lassos. Stay away. You are no longer welcome in my life. No longer welcome to wreak havoc. And I will no longer fall for your seduction. Oof, that's powerful, huh? So COVID, I gained the COVID-19 and probably another 19 on top of that. And I have found myself once again eating foods I never thought I would reintroduce into my body and eating as much as I want whenever the fuck I want. And the consequences are apparent in my body and in my mind. And I couldn't put the food down. I couldn't put the sugar and the flour down. So here I am searching for a food addiction coach. And I found this eight-week program. And while the food plan mentioned there is a little bit gimmicky to me, and I have a little bit, a lot of bit of prejudice related to the diet industry and diet gimmicks, I'm willing to give this a shot because there's some alignment in this food plan with the idea of refraining from sugar and flour. And I know those are some major addictive substances for my body. So I'm going to journal and track this and share it because it always kind of bothered me that Oprah has never talked about food addiction I can't think of an episode. Maybe it's out there. I can't think of an interview with her. Maybe it's out there. But she could have been the face of this. You know, nobody should have to, but she could have helped millions of people understand that food addiction is real. We're not stupid. We know how to lose weight. We know the math of it. We know the science of it. We're addicts. It's like an alcoholic. You think they don't know that if they stop drinking, it would be better for them? You think we don't know if we lost the weight, we'd be healthier and happier? Why didn't Oprah share this with the world? Why didn't she tell people who sat isolated, alone in their houses, thinking there's something different and crazy about them that nobody else understands? that they can't help themselves because they're an addict. Why hasn't she come to that place where she's wanting 
to help her own addiction or her own compulsion or, or share this issue with people who don't know what's wrong with them so that they can know they are not alone and know there's a reason for why they do what they do. Well, maybe you're saying to yourself, this is a personal issue for Oprah and we don't need to know about it. But Oprah's been out there. She's been out there in her skinny jeans and a wagon full of lard to show off her weight loss. So why not this? Anyway, my rant is over. In a couple of hours, I will sit with some other women. I don't know if there's men in this group. And we will learn about this new program of recovery that I've just joined with a couple of coaches who've been there themselves, who relate and who are sharing their own experience and success. So tune in next week to the Agile Self-Development Podcast as we continue this topic with my two coaches. Thank you for joining me. Visit AgileSelfDevelopment.com and subscribe to the podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they're released. And if you enjoyed the podcast, I'd love it if you'd leave a review in Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in how the podcasts are ranked. Thank you again for joining me, Helene Coppell, for this episode of Agile Self-Development. Become your best self one version at a time. Catch you soon.